Let us now take our Bibles and let us read from the Word of God. The reading for this morning is taken from 2 Samuel 18. Let us read 2 Samuel 18. Absalom began a rebellion, and so David is fleeing from his son Absalom. We read 2 Samuel 18. And David numbered the people who were with him and set captains of thousands and captains of hundreds over them. Then David sent out one-third of the people under the hand of Joab, one-third under the hand of Abishai, the son of Seruai, Joab's brother, and one-third under the hand of Ittai, the Gittite. And the king said to the people, I also will surely go out with you. But the people answered, You shall not go out, for if we flee away... They will not care about us. Not if half of us die will they care about us. But you are worth 10,000 of us now, for you are now more help to us in the city. Then the king said to them, Whatever seems best to you, I will do. So the king stood beside the gate, and all the people went out by hundreds and by thousands. Now the king had commanded Job, Abishai, and Etai, saying, Deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave the captain's orders concerning Absalom. So the people went out into the field of battle against Israel. And the battle was in the woods of Ephraim. And the people of Israel were overthrown there before the servants of David. And a great slaughter of 20,000 took place there that day. For the battle there was scattered over the face of the whole countryside. And the woods devoured more people that day than The sword devoured. Then Absalom met the servants of David. Absalom rode on a mule. The mule went under the thick bow of a great terebinth tree, and his head caught in the terebinth. So he was left hanging between heaven and earth, and the mule which was under him went on. Now a certain man saw it and told Job and said, I just saw Absalom hanging in a terebinth tree. So Job said to the man who told him, You just saw him? Why did you not strike him there to the ground? I would have given you ten shekels of silver and a belt. And the man said to Job, Though I were to receive a thousand shekels of silver in my hand, I would not raise my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing the king commanded you and Abishai and Etai, saying, Beware lest anyone touch the young man Absalom. Otherwise I would have dealt falsely against my own life, for there is nothing hidden from the king, and you yourself would have set yourself against me. Then Job said, I cannot linger with you. He took three spears in his hand and thrust them through Absalom's heart while he was still alive in the midst of the terebinth tree. And ten young men went, uh, ten men, sorry, and ten young men who bore Job's armor surrounded Absalom and struck and killed him. So Job blew the trumpet, and the people returned from pursuing Israel. For Job held back the people, and he took Absalom and cast him into a large pit in the woods and laid a very large heap of stones over him. Then all Israel fled, everyone, to his tent. Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up a pillar for himself, which is in the king's valley. For he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. And he called the pillar after his own name. And to this day it is called Absalom's Monument. 
Then Ahimeas, the son of Zadok, said, Let me run now and take the news to the king, how the Lord has revenged him of his enemies. <clears throat> and Job said to him, You shall not take the news this day, for you shall take the news another day. But today you shall take no news, because the king's son is dead. Then Job said to the Cushite, Go tell the king what you have seen. So the Cushite bowed himself to Job and ran. And Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, said again to Job, But whatever happens, please let me also run after the Cushite. So Job said, Why will you run, my son, since you have no news ready? But whatever happens, he said, Let me run. So he said to him, Run. Then Ahimaaz ran by the way of the plain and outran the Cushite. Now David was sitting between the two gates, and the watchman went up to the roof over the gate to the wall and lifted his eyes and looked. And there was a man running alone. Then the watchman cried out and told the king. The king said, If he is alone, this is news in his mouth. And he came rapidly and drew near. Then the watchman saw another man running, and the watchman called to the gatekeeper and said, There's another man running alone. And the king said, He also brings news. So the watchman said, I think the running of the first is like the running of Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok. And the king said, he is a good man and comes with good news. So Ahimaaz called out and said to the king, all is well. Then he bowed down with his face to the earth before the king and said, blessed be the Lord your God who has delivered up the men who raised their hand against my lord the king. And the king said, is the young man Absalom safe? Ahimaaz answered, when Job sent the king's servant and me your servant, I saw a great tumult, but I did not know what it was about. And the king said, Turn aside and stand here. So he turned aside and stood still. Just then the Cushite came, and the Cushite said, There is good news, my lord the king, for Lord has avenged you this day of all those who rose against you. And the king said to the Cushite, Is the young man Absalom safe? So the Cushite answered, May the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise against you do harm. Be like that young man. Then the king was deeply moved and he went up into the chamber over the gate and he wept. And as he went, he said thus, O oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died in your place, O oh, Absalom, my son, my son. And that's the text for this this morning, the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gates and wept. And as he went, he said thus, O oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died in your place, O oh, Absalom, my son, my son. In response to Proclamation of the Lord's Word, we will sing from Him 65. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, what a bitter cry David makes here. Oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, if only I had died instead of you in your place, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. I don't know if it touches your heart, but it certainly touches mine. As a father in Israel, having raised sons of our own together with my wife, 
How could any father or any mother not sense that deep pain and that deep sorrow in that bitter cry, having also raised children of their own, having experienced not only the joys and the delights that come with raising children, but also sometimes the pain, the sorrow, the grief. Perhaps you are one of them. Upon hearing David's bitter cry, feel a sword piercing your own soul, your own heart. In grief, as you cry out with grief, the loss of one of your own children. Perhaps through some physical reason, perhaps through some foolishness, having lost one of your children. A worship, spiritual death of one of your children. Having gone astray, living wayward lives, backsliding. Oh, how we then cry out to the Lord, don't we? How we then grieve so bitterly in our hearts. But brothers and sisters, you're not alone if you're experiencing such grief. Other fathers and mothers in Israel have experienced the same grief. In fact, it can be safely said that there's hardly a father and a mother who has not shared such grief at one time or another, to greater or to smaller degree, as you raise our children. Sure, sometimes our children are just wonderful. They're joyful. But sometimes they can also be so very difficult. We all experience that. And so you're not alone. Yes, you're not alone, not only because many more have shared that same grief that you feel in your heart, but also because our Heavenly Father shares your grief. And He also very personally understands your grief as He offered up His one and only Son on that bitter and shameful cross. Not because he was so bad, not because he was so wavered and rebellious, but because you and I were rebellious and wavered. But therefore, brothers and sisters, in the midst of our grief, we may now have hope. We may now have comfort. We may now find strength in our time of need. And so, brothers and sisters, I may proclaim to you the word of God this morning as follows. The grief of a parent can only be covered in Christ. The grief of a parent can only be covered in Christ. And from King David, we will learn the following. First of all, there is deep love despite grief. Secondly, there is failure despite successes. And thirdly, there is victory despite hopelessness. So first of all, the grief of a parent can only be covered in Christ. From King David, we learn there is deep love despite much grief. Yes, what parent doesn't love their sons and daughter, daughters? Your son or your daughter can hurt you so terribly at times, they can embarrass you, but you can't help but love them. They can be disobedient, rebellious at times, yet you feel drawn to them. You love them too much to let them go. They may even leave you for a time, yet you can't forget them. They're your flesh and blood. They can also cost you a lot of money at times. Maybe you have to bail them out for this or that trouble. Yet you continue to love them. Indeed, in the words of Isaiah, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on a child she has born? That's true for a mother, but that's no less true for a father. David experienced such grief in his life. We don't hear too much about his wife or his wives, but they too must have grieve bitterly over the loss of their sons. But you see, all focus is here on David, 
David is a father in Israel, as a father of a household, who had to give godly examples and godly teachings to his children, especially to his sons, who would then also become fathers of households in due time. A third commandment must have laid very heavily on David's heart as he strove to raise his children in the fear and the love of the Lord. David knew the commandments very well. He knew that the sins of the father would be carried through through the third and the fourth generation of those who hate the Lord. That is, those who rebel against the Lord, who live in deliberate sin. But brothers and sisters, as fathers and mothers in Israel, our would-be fathers and mothers, the Lord willing, we should not only focus on David's grief, but we must put David's grief in perspective of the whole of David's life. That is not only on, on David's life of sin, but also on David's life of worship and trust in the Lord. Yes, sure, David must have frequently reflected on his own sin, particularly the sin of adultery and murder and the consequences thereof. Yes, there was deep sin in David's life. But let's not point fingers at David. There's also sin in our lives. And don't the consequences of those sins sometimes follow us? Yes, there's forgiveness, but sometimes there are scars. And further, sin can also cause us to lose perspective of where our first love ought to be and how our love should be applied. David struggled with that too. How often doesn't a child who causes us most grief get the most attention? And that can sometimes have detrimental effect on the other children. David too had more children. But we don't hear too much about his love for them other than his love for Solomon. But almost from the very beginning of Absalom's teenage years, we may say, David had a special attraction for Absalom. With the result that he often gave in too quickly to Absalom's requests, with a better judgment, would have had a better response. But David lost perspective because of somewhat twisted love for his son Absalom. He appeared to love his son Absalom more than all the rest of his sons, and at all costs, he was even willing to flee from his son. All the while, his son Absalom had not done him much good, had not built up David's reputation as a father and a king in Israel. First, Absalom manipulated his father, King David, into forcing Amnon, David's oldest son, to, to attend a celebration associated with the shearing of Amnon's sheep, Ab- Absalom's sheep. At the festive meal, Absalom got his half-brother Amnon drunk and then ordered his servants to murder Amnon in revenge for raping his sister Tamar. Absalom then went into self-imposed exile he fled from the royal house in Jerusalem and stayed for three years with his grandfather, Tamai, king of Geshur. David mourned for the death of his son, Amnon, despite Amnon's sin against Tamar. For Amnon was his oldest son and thus was the natural heir to the throne. Nevertheless, it was not long before David also longed for Absalom to return. It would take another two years before David would meet Absalom face to face. And when he does so, we, can, we read about that David gave Absalom a kiss. Now you would think that such a son would have learned 
a lesson or two for taking things in his own hands. But that was not the case. Once Absalom regained his position in David's household, he began to take further steps to replace his father as king of Israel. Acquiring horses and a chariot and a private militia, Absalom began positioning himself to become David's replacement as the highest legal authority in Israel. He continually undermined his father's goodwill. Absalom acted as a, a true politician attempting to run for office. And it, his efforts paid off. It appeared that his good looks also did him a lot of good. Eventually he became more popular than his father, and so that after winning the favor of the people of Israel, Absalom decided that now was the time to fulfill his ambition by proclaiming himself king over Israel. And when David heard of this, know what David said. David said to his officials who were with him in, in Jerusalem, Arise, let us flee, or else there will be no escape from Absalom. David knew Absalom's murderous intent, that none, not even himself, Absalom's father, would escape Absalom's sword. And yet David loved his son. He was not going to fight his son in the city. That would be disastrous. And so David and his men fled into the forest near Mahanaim. You see, David was a trained soldier and, and a skilled war planner. In Mahanaim, David received provisions from, from his people. He was able to organize his troops for battle. Quite a company yet followed David, for he appointed commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. And over them he placed three generals, Joab, Abishai, and Etai. And then the king said, I also will surely go out with you myself. But here we see how much the people loved David. They would not let David go out with them into battle. Not this time, for they knew that his son Absalom was out to get David. David alone was Absalom's real target. Therefore, in a respectful way, they said to the king, you shall not go out. It is better that you send us help from the city. And David complied. But as the troops went, was about to go out to war on behalf of the king, David had some final words for them. And it's not the usual pep talk with all the hype and focus on victory. No, David's charge was quite different. David said, deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. David said this personally to each of his generals as they walked by him. And so as Job and all the Joel's men walked by. David, David shouted, deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And then also when Abishai walked by with all his men, David shouted again, deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And then also with, when Abishai's men, Etai's men walked by. All the generals and all their men heard David shout out, Deal gently for my sake with the young man, Absalom. But do you see here, brothers and sisters, here was not a concern for the people of Israel. You could say, here was not a concern for the church, but only for his one son, his wayward son, his rebellious son. How many people would die because of David's one son? Yet David was not concerned for all those who would die in Israel, but only for his one son, his rebellious son, his wayward son, 
Absalom. How different, too, was the advice of Ahithophel to Absalom. Ahithophel's intent was only to kill David and let the, all the rest of the people live. Yet David allowed, all, allowed, allowed his men to kill any other Israelite, but not his son, the leader of the revolution. What love David had for his son, huh? But was it not a twisted love? Yes, how easy it is to have a twisted love in a desperation to love our children despite their mistakes, their rebellion, their sin. 20,000 soldiers would die that day in battle. What grief that should have given to King David. But no, David had little concern for the many who would die for the sake of his son's sin. He was only concerned for the son whom he loved so dearly. They would offer up the lives of many for his one son. Oh yes, there's so much grief in this, isn't there? But David's deep yet twisted love will only bring greater grief. And so we come to the second point. There's failure despite successes. Yes, David had been very successful in many things that he did. That it began already in his father's house, in Jesse's house. There he tended his father's sheep, and he did that very well. The Lord was with him, and the Lord allowed David to fight a bear at one time, and another time a lion, in order to protect his father's sheep. One day, David came face to face with a giant of a man named Goliath. In the fear of the Lord, David was fearless, and won the battle for the Lord by conquering over this giant and blasphemer of God, not with a sword or spear, but with a sling and a stone. Yes, David had also been very successful as a musician. He was renowned for his harp playing. He could soothe the troubling spirit of King Saul. Later, David set up the temple worship for which he produced many of the psalms, which we still sing today, giving glory to God even through difficult times. David, too, had been successful as a soldier and a general. During David's time, the borders of Israel had expanded as never before. Under the blessings of the Lord, David had brought in what became known as the golden age of King David and Solomon. The kingdom of David became the envy of many kings after him. It even became the symbol of restoration of Israel. Even disciples of the Lord Jesus, before the Lord Jesus ascended to heaven, they asked the Lord Jesus about the restoration of Israel. David had been successful in many things as an administrator, as a politician. But for all the wonderful successes that David enjoyed, David filled in his first and primary responsibility. And you know what that is now, don't you? David filled as a father. David filled as a father. And that outweighed all his successes. And you can hear that in that lament, can't you? Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom. If only I had died in your place. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. You see, David was at this point willing to take off his crown. He emptied himself of his glory, his renown, and successes. If only he could have this on his conscience, that he had been a good father to his son. Please hear this, brothers. Young fathers. Middle-aged fathers, while their child-rearing years are yet before you, 
lest you also end up grieving as David grieved. Brothers, there's, there's no success in business or in sport or whatever you can be successful in this world that compares to being a good father. As far as that goes, also a good mother. That is, having been there for your sons and daughters. Having been there to teach them the wonderful things of God. Having been there to pray with them, to teach them how to pray. Having been there laying godly examples on their lives. Godly walk, godly talk. Sure, you can only be successful under the blessings of the Lord. But you yourself must strive to live a covenant faithfulness and covenant obedience. How many among us are not grieving today? I wish you could do it all over again. How many among us are lamenting today that you had spent too much time in, in your business, in your work, or with having fun with your fellows at, at work or in play, in sport? Too little time with your children, leaving that to your wives? As far as that goes, how many are regretting today as moms that you weren't there for your children when they came home from school? Brothers and sisters, if the world would tell us that much of teenage rebellion is because of dysfunctional families, also because mom and dad are, are too busy with each their own affairs, should that not also make us more careful to be there for our children? All the more because we need to keep in mind our covenant responsibility, which we vowed before the Lord at the baptismal font. Some parents were too permissive in their child rearing, with the result that children made laws for themselves, and often it didn't include the will and the word of God. Others were too strict, too authoritarian. Do this or else. They implemented doctrine, but without love, without compassion, with the result the children said when they grew up. Thank you, Mom and Dad. This is not for me. If this is what the love of God is all about, I want nothing of it. Because the parent was a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And they left the faith. For some, it was just too much. But for others, by the grace of God, recognized the weakness of the parents and stayed. True, ultimately, the faith of our children is not in our hands. And yet the Lord does use us as his instruments to raise up our children to the fear and love of the Lord. Because how many of us are not grieving because of one or other of these realities in our household? David, too, grieved bitterly. Once again, David would have willingly taken the crown off his head, completely emptied himself of all his glory, renown, and success, if only he had this on his conscience that he had been a good father to his son. Undoubtedly, David would gladly have traded all his successes for the success of being a good father. Brothers, there is no treasure so great than to know that you were successful as a father and a mother. Yes, under the blessings of the Lord, of course. And there's no treasure so great than at least to have a clear conscience that you give your best effort, time, and energy in the raising of your children. And that's all the Lord requires of us as parents. Contrarily, there's, there's no misery so great than to realize that you failed as a father and a mother. And that particularly is because of certain sin or weakness in your personal life, which, which you knew about, but you refused to correct. Perhaps it was greed or materialism or worldlyism. Perhaps it was a certain God in your life, a sport or, or achievement or certain entertainment or a certain person. 
You see, David knew from where his troubles came. The Lord had pointed it out to him through, through the prophet Nathan. The Lord pointed out to David, he said, Now therefore the sword will never depart from your house, because you have despised me. You have taken the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. The brother said, isn't it ironic that it would be Job who would kill Absalom? For it was Job who had organized the amnesty for Absalom in the first place and brought him back to Jerusalem. And it was Job who obtained greater freedom for Absalom and brought him back into the king's presence. But it was also Job who, under the orders from King David, had killed Uriah in battle without raising a word of protest to the king. Now this military commander who would kill a righteous man, Uriah, at David's request, now killed David's own son, Absalom, in direct violation to David's request. There's a saying that goes, what goes around comes around. It seems to fit here, doesn't it? David, who abused his almost absolute authority, and so took Uriah's wife, and then Uriah's life is now powerless to save his own son from death at the hand of Joab. Joab knew that King David, having broken the laws of the Lord, because he follows his own desires of adultery and murder, could hardly call Joab to account. At this point, Joab only did what he thought was best for Israel and not for King David. Joab was weary of all the troubles Absalom had caused for David and for Israel, and so put Absalom to death. David couldn't touch Job because David knew he was guilty himself. Yes, what misery sin can bring upon us. Often though we struggle with our own sins and shortcomings. Yes, our own sins and weaknesses make sometimes our rearing of our children very difficult. How often though we see ourselves in our children's sins. Sometimes we then hesitate to discipline because we see our sins or struggles in our children. Then we can grow weary and, and we can give up or we can give in or we throw up our hands in the air and, in a sense of hopelessness. And there's also so much more grief and sorrow in our hearts when we see our children not walking in the ways of the Lord. We continue to love them, but we can't forget them. David continued to love Absalom despite Absalom's grievous sins against God and against the king and despite Absalom hurting him so bitterly. Because of his deep love for his son Absalom, David cried out bitterly when he hears of Absalom's death. Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died in your place. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. But brothers and sisters, there's victory despite hopelessness. This brings us to the last point. With Absalom's death, the battle is over. But isn't it striking, though, how the Lord saw to it that Absalom would die that day, regardless if Job and the armor-bearers did not kill Absalom? For it appeared that if left to himself, Absalom would have been another one of those who would, whose life would have been claimed by the woods, by the forest. For God saw to it that Absalom's head, his hair was caught in the tree. And if dangling it long enough, he would eventually have died. 
but it was Job. Job and his men who killed Absalom. There was a message in this for King David, that it was Job who in the end had killed his son Absalom. In later days, he, when he could see things more clearly, he would realize that his own sin came upon his own head. But for the moment, he was too captivated by his twisted love for his son. He had only his one son in mind. Absalom alone had David's full attention and love. Now you can imagine that for the army of David, it was a great day of victory. But Absalom's army was also not very small. You can imagine this victorious army returning to the city of Mahanaim, singing songs of victory. Until the soldiers arrived at the gate, they stopped singing. Because they realized the king was not at the gate to greet them. That was because David had already heard of his son's death. After the defeat of Absalom's army, with the death of Absalom, Ahimeas, the son of Zadok, had begged Job to be the one who could bring the good news to David. Job knew that it would not be good news for the king, although it would be for everyone else. Job knew, too, that Ahimeas was a friend of the king. And therefore, the king, would, when seeing him coming, would consider this to be good news. And for this reason, Job forbade Ahimeas to run to Mahanaim. Job was considered and gentle with his king. Job sent a Cushite instead. However, Ahimeas persisted, and so finally Job let him run to, to carry the news to King David. Being highly motivated and being a good runner and choosing a faster route, Ahimeas actually managed to arrive at Mahanaim before the Cushite. Now, as a concerned father, David stood constantly by the gate, by the city gate, constantly scanning the horizon, anxiously waiting for news. No, not whether the battle was successful, but whether his son was still alive. You can hear that in the questions he asked these two runners. And then, three times, David received evidence that this news might be good news. First, there's a single runner. And that is interpreted to be good news. And then the watchman sees another single runner. And David again interprets that to be good news. And then the watchman told David that the first runner was Ahimaeus. That was the third confirmation that there's good news. That's what a slap in the face it was then for King David when he finally learned that his son, Apton was dead. His grief was great. He was overcome with emotion. His heart was wrenched in pain. Going up to his upper chamber, he cried out, Oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, if only I was in your place, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. David expressed here that he wished he could have died in his son's place. And this would not only have been because of the great love he had for his son, but also because of his knowledge that he was the cause of his son's death. You see, brothers, this is now the third time that one of the sons of King David died. First, there was that, that baby that was conceived in adultery. And then there was Amnon. And now Absalom. How much can a father take? How much can a father and mother take to see not only just one of the children lost, going astray, but now three? Brothers and sisters, there would still be one more son 
who would die in later years. That would be Adonijah, who strove to receive the inheritance along Solomon. So four times, four times, David stood at the graveside of one of his sons with tears flowing down his eyes. His heart wrenched in pain, his soul overwhelmed with, with deep grief and emotion, crying out, Oh, my son, it was I, it was I who caused you your death. It was I, by my sin, who caused you this misery. And so understandably, not only out of his deep love for Absalom, but also his deep sense of guilt, of being the guilty one, who brought on this misery in his household, called David to wish that he would have died in Absalom's place. Now yet, brothers and sisters, the message of this text is not on misery, which we brought upon ourselves because of our sin, but it's on good news. For isn't it striking how much of our text deals with the delivery of the message to King David? Simple message. But one-third of our reading, 13 out of 33 verses, deals with the delivering of the message to King David. The emphasis is on good news. In fact, the word used repeatedly here, even eight times, is the rendering of the Hebrew term meaning good news. And the word good news in the Greek New Testament is a reference to the proclamation of the gospel. Victory over sin, Satan, and death obtained in Christ's shed blood on the cross. Now good news, which Ahimaeus wanted to proclaim to David, was that God had given him the victory by defeating the army of Absalom and by Absalom's death. But the problem was that David was not inclined to accept this as good news. Good news for David was that Absalom was still alive. Good news for every other man involved in the war of Absalom and his men that day was that Absalom's army had been defeated and that the troublemaker had been removed. Indeed, it can be asked, how could David receive the death of a son as good news? How can any parent receive the good news of Jesus Christ as good news when they see their son or daughter going astray? Well, there is good news in it, brothers and sisters. For it is through the bitterness of our own sins that we may see the light of salvation. And that light is that as we bitterly grieve over the spiritual struggle of some of our children, we become increasingly more aware and more remorseful of our own sins as weaknesses. And we become increasingly aware of our own hopelessness and our helplessness. Our sins and weakness works against us, even in our best efforts in raising our children in the fear of the Lord. But then, brothers and sisters, we can fall on our knees before our Heavenly Father, who is a Father unto us, who has never leaves us, who never fails us, who loves us with a far deeper and pure love than we can ever have for our own children. It will be in another son of David, who is at the same time the true son of God. Yes, indeed, in our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. That is the good news for us, brothers and sisters. David, in his somewhat twisted love, had more love for his one rebellious, wayward son, Absalom, than for all the people of Israel who obediently fought for the king. But our Father in heaven, brothers and sisters, has more love for you and for me, for the thousands of us rebellious people than he had for his one and only son, Jesus Christ. Our Father in heaven has more love for us 
as fathers and mothers. Though we raise our children, his children, in weakness and in shortcomings. Then he had for his one and only son. And so allowed him and him alone to die that eternal curse at death on the cross. Instead of us. And brothers and sisters, we should know too that after David, after his first son's death, still had God's grace and mercy in perspective. For after the baby died, he said, I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. But after his son Amnon died, and particularly after his third son Absalom died, David lost perspective for a time. Indeed, it is difficult when a baby dies. But so much harder when a grown son or daughter dies, one of whom you had personal bonding for so many years. Understanding, David was overwhelmed with grief. David was a broken man. And yet, brothers and sisters, David was a child of the Lord. The Lord disciplines those whom he loves. And so while disciplining his child with hard measures, the Lord also worked in him the joy of salvation in his heart, the knowledge of forgiveness of sins and weaknesses. And we hear that later in so many of David's psalms. Take David's psalm, Psalm 32. David exclaims, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Or Psalm 51, David confesses, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. And so you see, brothers and sisters, David had learned two very important things. Personal confession of sins and weaknesses in all humility. And a focus foremost on the well-being of all Zion, God's people, Jerusalem, the church. David knew his sins forgiven. Even though he must feel the bitter pain and the consequence of a sin for the rest of his life, he knew his sins forgiven. And that is no less true for us, brothers and sisters. When your children go astray, it may be related to a particular aspect of your life, or it may not be. But it's hard for us parents not to blame ourselves, isn't it? For the waywardness of our children. Parents always have the inclination to ask, where did I go wrong? What could I have done differently? In hindsight, you may have done things differently. But some things cannot be undone. Sins once committed cannot be undone. It can only be washed away. It can only be covered in the blood of Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, don't be like David, who was unable to receive good news the day the Lord delivered David and his people from evil. But receive the good news that your sins, your weaknesses are forgiven in Jesus Christ, also in the raising of your children when you come before him with sincere hearts, seeking his forgiveness, he will then give you peace. He will yet give you joy through sorrow. Believe it. Believe it with all your heart. He will give you peace 
all because he loved not his son more than us, but gave him up for us all, so we might have life and have life abundantly in him. Amen.